2: it's another sunday edition of the yahoo sports hockey podcast justin cuthbert julian mckenzie of zone time and the athletic fame and i think now i guess you can correct correct me if i'm wrong but after the seas parted last night and a couple hockey writers were allowed to watch an ncaa basketball game that this is now a jalen suggs fan podcast
0: right or wrong i i I think i can agree to that i think That shot was one of the coolest things just to be a nerd for a second that game UCLA Gonzaga 15 years ago these two teams met in the sweet 16 you may remember that game ending with Adam Morrison crying and bawling his eyes out after his team blew a 17 point lead Gus Johnson called that game lost his mind 15 years later UCLA Gonzaga in the final four ends on that Jalen Suggs buzzer beater. You know who was on the radio call for Gonzaga for that game? Adam Morrison, losing his mm-hmm. mind, going like, yes, yes. Retribution for 15 years of anguish
2: for Adam Morrison. Uh, and I'm, I mean, I'm glad for him. I, I guess it's uh, a little bit of solace, but uh, I think everyone will always remember the tears first when they think of Adam Morrison, but uh, at least he could enjoy that with everybody else. Um, it, it was just like a perfect highlight, though. Like, it was such an amazing game uh you know the three seconds to get down to court heave it up like perfect shots perfect visuals him knowing to get up on the desk right away and celebrate that way like everything about that highlight was just perfect uh and they can pretty much just do one shining moment right now because they've got all the footage they need oh
0: man yeah play luther vandross right now right after that moment i don't i mean (laughs) i hope the championship game ends up you know being a really good game i hope for that but that's the game of the tournament. It'd be pretty hard to to one up that game. That's that's a shot that's going to live on forever.
2: Huge historical implications too. I mean, this is an undefeated team. Only one team, I think, in history has won uh, or won the NCAA championship after an undefeated season. Like that is that is a momentous momentous shot uh, and something that's going to live forever. 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 Uh, and I mentioned that you know two hockey writers got to watch the game because there was a canceled hockey game and it was canceled because of the biggest news in the hockey world, which is the fact that the Vancouver Canucks have COVID-19 or COVID-19 is, uh, sort of ravaging through their team and through their, uh, facilities. Unfortunately, uh, obviously the Canucks season's on pause. 16 players so far have been named to the COVID list and counting, uh, plus several others and likely more, uh, when looking at staff members and so on and so forth. Um, this is sort of the you know precisely the sort of situation the nhl was trying to avoid right obviously um you know they, if they were going to get up back and running the thing that they've been working so hard to achieve is to prevent outbreaks from happening in certain teams in certain camps or all their teams um and we have a legitimate covid 19 outbreak uh, after one test was found early in the week we had a couple more the next day and then a few more the next day and now we're up to quite a few cases up to upwards of 16 and perhaps a little bit more and we're seeing the full like full extent or the full power of this virus as it burns through the team like in terms of transfer transferability or transmissibility like it's moving very quickly the goalposts sort of moving with this being a variant uh the brazilian variant apparently uh and also the damage it can do because Apparently, several players are critically ill with this uh, virus right now. So just your reaction to the big news this week and and what it might be moving forward here. Just very surprising and
0: and shocking. I think any time there's any COVID news to deal with the North Division, as we've handled on the show or as a lot of the hockey world has handled to this point, you're surprised because of how the virus is spread in Canada as opposed to their neighbors down South, the United States. So to see the breakout, sorry, the outbreak, I should say in Vancouver be as vast as it's been so far is absolutely surprising. And while we're trying to get as many details on, on how many people it's affecting now, one thing we're always going to ask questions about and try to figure out going forward is how it's going to affect these players going forward. I don't know offhand how many players actually have the virus or, or who's in contract tra- contact tracing or whatnot, but we're still trying to figure out so many things with the virus. And we're trying to figure out so many things with this variant that for some of these, from these guys going forward, like it's, those guys are, we're going to be asking questions about what it's going to be like for them just playing and, and living, let alone uh, just having the virus right now. And I guess to kind of broaden it out here, just what's it going to do for the Canucks season? What's it going mm-hmm. to do for, for for them would they get back like how is like already the bunch of aconeins or for example they had their their outbreak with covid and that only involved two players who were added to the list and right. now they find themselves playing a handful of games over the next 40 odd days uh correct me if i'm wrong i think they already moved a Vancouver Canucks game and a Senators game that was supposed to be in late may they moved it to another day the NHL already is, is likely going to have to do some more scheduling hijinks over the next few days as well i mean i know the Vancouver Canucks are not really in a position where I mean, their chances have been fading over the last few days to make the playoffs, but if anyone in that locker room had any hope of of trying to salvage the season for them, I mean, you almost kind of feel with how COVID, depending on how severe this COVID thing has gone for them, you have to think the rest of the season is kind of a wash, don't you think? I mean, at this point, it's just making sure everyone who's been stricken with the disease is healthy and could just kind of finish the season or could just go on with their lives. If it's that bad, and hopefully I'm not making it worse than it is, there is a lot of details we're still trying to figure out, but... I think if you're the Vancouver Canucks and you're going through something like this, like at this point, you just got to, if people are as critically ill as as what's been reported out there, like you guys just hope that everyone is just okay.
2: Yeah, I mean, hockey and the season certainly takes a back backseat, um, and there is some tragic irony to all this. I don't know if defiant is the right word, but BC was one of the more Uh, resistant municipalities in terms of, you know, starting the season up again, getting the bubble going. Like they didn't want to be, they had more rules in place and they challenged the NHL's rules and regulations. uh, And they basically decided that they simply weren't strong enough to accommodate them in the NHL when the NHL was trying to find out where they were going to place their bubbles and finish their season or last season. Now to no fault of their own, the Canucks, BC government, whatever, uh, the worst situation in the entire NHL, just as it seemed as though the leak was, you know, going to conquer this, like we are, we're approaching the finish line here. Obviously, there's been issues, but they basically got through it, and now the worst situation, by far, involves the Canucks. You mentioned the possibility, like oh, looking at their season. I feel like there's a non-zero chance that the Canucks don't play another game this season. Uh, I feel like that might be a little bit alarmist, maybe a little bit wow. jumping the gun, but, and I know they probably will. But it, look at it. It's early April. The season ends in early to mid-May. It's right. going to take at least two weeks for even the most fortunate athletes that are that are dealing with this virus to get healthy. That means the best case scenario is whoever is healthy enough to play hasn't passed along the virus, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks are going to have to squeeze in six weeks worth of games in a month with players that are just getting over a very serious illness. And to further that point, like even though I guess the NHL would try to shoehorn all those games in – I wouldn't be surprised if the same government that I just talked about who didn't want this to happen last summer just steps in and shuts things down because they have that power, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you see the things that are going on in BC right now, like they're dealing with not just COVID-19, but this variant, this highly transmissible variant that they don't have any like real immunity for yet built up immunity in terms of people getting it in the community. So I could see the BC coming in and saying, what are we even doing here? Why are we trying to play a month's worth of hockey games when we have a really serious issue, public health emergency potentially in our backyard? I I just feel like this is obviously worst case scenario for the NHL, but something that's beyond the game. And it helps that, you know, the Canucks aren't going to be playing meaningful games down the stretch. They're not going to make the playoffs. That was never going to happen, but it shouldn't matter because this is something that's bigger than just the NHL trying to complete a season. This is a serious, serious issue and and I wonder if, you know, this is the end of their season. Again, I feel like that won't be the case. But if the NHL, if this, does, like, the situation could just become that, the Canucks just can't play because of all this stuff that's happening. But I could also see the government stepping in and saying, enough is enough. This is not worth wow. it.
0: That's, wow. To hear you say that, I mean, I don't disagree with the fact that there may be a non-zero chance. It's just, and, and maybe, and you did preface it by saying, maybe it does sound alarmist, but the idea of a team basically shutting down its season because they, the outbreak is just too strong. That's just something that has had not come to my mind. And it's not something I fathomed. And now that I'm processing it, it's just, it's a lot to take in. And I wonder, and you brought this up and I've brought this up as well. If the Vancouver Canucks found themselves in third place in that North division, in the middle of a playoff race, a golden opportunity to make playoffs and build off of what they've done last year, even if it is bigger than sports, you have to ask that question. Like, what do you do for the Vancouver Canucks? If you're in a situation where you could actually compete because of the fact that they are falling farther behind in the playoff race, it makes it much easier to do so, but maybe I'm wrong. And maybe, you know what the, the obviously the COVID variant and all that should take precedence and maybe organizations don't think of it that closely. But of course, when you consider winning, like people are going to think about that. I still think so. I I have to say, like now, I think you've kind of convinced me here. I, I can see why there would be a non-zero chance or, or a solid chance that it could be a possibility, but I don't know if it's something that has even crossed. The road. I think it really depends on how severe the after effects of this outbreak are for for the players involved in this. If it's if this comes out where you have like one or a few guys who they had to go through a day or two where they're just really sick, and then they recover after, and then they're able to play, and then you're trying to squeeze in games. Maybe a situation where you don't schedule all the games back. You allow them to finish up until May, and then you go to, towards point, points percentage to figure out mm-hmm. you know where they stack in the standings or whatever. But I think, I think you'd have to see a whole bunch of players really get it badly before it gets to that point where the the bc government and the nhl come together and say you know what it's not worth it for the canucks to finish the season and i still think if they were in a better position in the standings that decision about shutting down their season unless like you know the cases are really bad for the players that's a much harder decision to take it
2: yeah i think either way it's going to affect the north division um Mm -hmm. and we can sort of uh move over our discussion to that i mean i mentioned the best case scenario being a couple weeks where you know, all of a sudden the virus is not impacting anyone. It can't be transferred to more and more people. Everyone is healthy. I mean, I, I again, I don't see a point where everyone's healthy enough mm-hmm. at least to show up at facilities again by the middle of the month. And again, if you want to try and fit all those games in, sure, but it just doesn't seem realistic to me. So in the end, I feel like this situation is going to at least ensure that the North Division – plays less games than other divisions. It's possible that other divisions um, get to the point where they don't play all their games and they don't have to because maybe something comes up or um, just the fact that they've dealt with other issues before and it just they run out of time. Um, But right now, it feels like the North Division is going to be shortchanged, if you want to call it shortchanged, because as much as they say they want to get all these games in, I just feel like that is wishful thinking at this point because I cannot see the Canucks back in action, even if they bring in players from their minor league system and they play severely shorthanded and it becomes a bit of a joke, frankly, um, and to the to the league and the division and, and everything as a whole in the competition, uh, I just feel like they're not going to be able to get their feet under them in time yeah. to get on all these games in. And if it comes down to points percentage, listen, we already know the four teams that are going to make the playoffs in the North Division. So yeah, just, just go by, just don't force this. Don't put players in a position where they could... Where you know their health has already been compromised, don't put them in a p- position where they're further compromised, and just get to the finish line as best as you can. You're going to be limping when you reach the finish line, but just get to the finish line with the limp being the only thing that's that's really negatively impacting them.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's well said on that.
2: Um, if there was good news for the Vancouver Canucks this week, it was that they signed Thatcher Demko to a five-year extension worth twenty-five million dollars. Uh, Thatcher Demko, I believe, is on the COVID-19 list. Uh, One of many, obviously, uh, Vancouver Canucks who are on the list. Um, But this seems like a pretty good bet to me. Um, This is not a cheap contract. This is not a totally, you know, a a very experienced goaltender. Uh, This is a player that's coming off, you know, a very small but brilliant sample size in the playoffs last year and had played at a Vesna Vesna caliber level for... uh, a decent stretch this year has been up and down around that, but has play, has shown elite form last year and this year, and is now signing this deal. Um, what do you think? Is this a good move for the Canucks to buy up a couple, of, you know, seasons of unrestricted free agency and pay what could be an elite goaltender, but what could be you know just an average goaltender, a pretty sizable sum of money?
0: I think so. Considering, and I know not every team does this but considering the fact that there are general managers who have given upwards of nine, $10 million to goaltenders, which we're starting to realize that's not how you should go about things. I like 5 million, I, or at least i like the salary that's out there for, for Thatcher Demko. I think it's a pretty decent amount. And and with Braden Olpe, I think becoming an unrestricted free agent, if not next year, the year after,
2: uh, next I don't season, think the next summer
0: yet, exactly. I, I don't think the Vancouver, I think even then, like the Vancouver Canucks are going to be in a situation where they're going to have under $10 million towards their both of their goaltenders. And if Braden Holpe doesn't want to be that one B guy behind him, they could just offload him and just let him walk. And they don't have to, and I'm sure, whichever whoever they bring in, whether it's another guy from the minors that they have in their prospect system or another just solid backup who can go behind them, the Canucks can find themselves in a position where they're not necessarily sh- burning money in towards goaltenders because we've learned now over the last few years, you don't need to shell out eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 million dollars towards goaltenders to, to, mm-hmm. to win a Stanley cup. You just need somebody solid uh, in the backstop just to kind of help you get to that point. And I think Thatcher Demko has played really well for this Canucks team. I, I think this could be a steal. I don't know if he'll necessarily get to a point where he's winning Vezinas every year, but the fact that the Vancouver Canucks can say that uh, they have a goaltender who they had come up their system and get to this point uh, where he could be an everyday starter for this team. If they so chose that could be a guy who it could be a steal of a contract. I find I don't think that money is all that much when you consider some of the other guys in the league who are making way more and might not be having as good of a season.
2: Yeah. I mean, I saw a little negativity about this, but I'm having trouble seeing it myself. Uh, This is a goaltender who is, you know, performed above average at every level he's played. You mentioned he came through the system and this is now his time. If you're going to pay a goaltender, uh, you know, their value or their perceived value at any time, it's when you think they're approaching their prime, which I think that's your Demko certainly is. I mean, there is a large degree of risk attached to any long-term extension involving a net minor. You mentioned that it's hard for them to say at the same level for, you know, a couple seasons in a row, let, a, let alone five. Um, but and I guess it does imply that he's going to play above average or close to elite for five seasons. Uh, But again, I I feel like there's not that next season doesn't matter or the season of that doesn't matter, but I think they're building towards something. And I think you want to be paying Demko that, what is a reasonable amount of money in year three, four or five, when you might be uh, at your best chance to compete or inside your competitive window. I mean, We've seen what's happened to Jacob Markstrom this year, not Mm -hmm. performing the same way he did, Uh, you know, getting paid perhaps after his best seasons. We've seen that with Carey Price, with Sergei Bobrovsky. I think you're paying for potential a little bit here, and I think there's a large or a a strong likelihood that Thatcher Demko does meet that potential. The deal could look sketchy at times, um, but I think you have to assume, A, that he'll meet that potential. But B, the most important thing the, the Canucks have to do is do everything under the sun to keep him in on the line of meeting that potential. And the biggest thing they could do in that sense is retaining their goaltender coach, Ian Clark. But once you sign this deal, now you got to protect your investment. So do what's best for Demko, which is probably to retain your goaltending coach. But if Braden Holpe is not going to be your backup in the future, try and solidify that position so that you have a 1A, 1B and you can get a pretty decent goaltender behind a $5 million starter. That's hard for, you know, we've seen even the Montreal Canadiens do that, get a, a good goaltender behind their starter who makes 10.5. So make sure that you both, you insulate Demko at the position and from a coaching's, uh, coaching standpoint, and and that thing would be uh, retaining Ian Clark would be very important for the Canucks
0: for sure and also you got to make sure the team in front of them is also pretty good as well and i mean that we've raved, and we've raved about the core that they have and yes there are all of the other players on the team who like the louis Erickson's of the world on the taxi squad making under 5 million dollars but i tell you what man and I tell you like shout out to sam chang from zone time but i mean you have a team with Brock Besser Elias Peterson uh Bo Horvat like, I, I love the fact that they have these guys up front. Quinn Hughes at back on defense. Like, I think that is such a cool core to have up front. And if the Vancouver Canucks play their cards right, that's a team that could really do some damage going forward. And now they lock up a goaltender who's like 25 years old. They're going to have him until he's about 30. You mentioned he's going to be in his prime years at that contract. That's a pretty – I think that's a pretty good foundation to have if you're any team in the NHL, let alone the Vancouver Canucks. If they were doing this deal with a guy at – you know, 21, 25, that's a different story If the 27, 32 different story, 25, 30 would be, that's a pretty good age range. And you could be getting some, some peak years in 28, 29, 30 for Thatcher Demko. And who knows with how this team is constructed, that constructed, I should say that could be when the Canucks really are at their best in terms of challenging for a Stanley cup. But so I don't, for people being negative about this deal, like, I'm not sure why. Like, if this was seven and a half million dollars, I would understand. If this was more, I get it. But five is, considering what other goalies get, that's not bad.
2: No, it's not bad. Um, and I think a, a lot a lot of the storyline this year has been about, okay, the Canucks have to take a little step back before they take multiple steps forward here because... Um, you know, some money's coming off the books, and they have they have some players that are obviously not meeting their value at the lower end of their lineup. This might delay things a little bit, or contribute to things being delayed, because the fact of the matter is, right now they're going to have nine and a half million, or just short of nine and a half million dollars, uh, with their goaltenders next season. They've got to pay Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson, and you'd think they'd want to go long. Perhaps they bridge them, but the best thing to do with young players usually is to go long and recoup value in the middle to late portion of their contracts, because you're going to have to pay for them eventually. So they could be pretty strapped next year, even though uh, they have some money coming off, but it's only Brandon Sutter and Alexander Edler who are the main, the main guys coming off in terms of, of earnings. Like uh, I think they have to wait a little longer for the Roussells Um uh at least Roussel, Jay Beagle, I think has one more year as well. So they got a couple players that they still have to wait on in order to get out from underneath those big salaries. And maybe you could have paid less for Thatcher Demko next season under a bridge deal. But I think in the long term when looking at the the real Promising years and the, and the and the real future for this team, you had to get rid of all those bad contracts anyway. So this mm-hmm. probably puts you in a better position to compete than with that. Your Demko signed to a what's what is a reasonable deal in my opinion.
0: I think Erickson might have another season on that deal that he has. I'm trying one to more after off those. of what I saw from Cap Friendly, but yeah, he's definitely another one of those contracts that a uh, bit of a head scratcher to leave. Uh, yeah, Erickson has one more. About. Exactly. Erickson so that's more. another. Exactly. So there's another contract that the candidates are going to have to deal with. But I I, kind of looked at it this way, like maybe next year is that year of pain with all those contracts you still have to kind of deal with. But then after that, heading into 2022, 20, well, yeah, 2022, 2023, like that's maybe if they handle it better, who knows if Jim Benning will still be around at that point as general manager you Mm -hmm. have to hope if you're Vancouver, that's the time when the team could really start to prosper. And I think that Thatcher Demko was going to be part of that regardless. So, and I think the 5 million is not a bad salary to have him at.
2: And it's, it's maybe likely that the Seattle Kraken does them a little favor and takes Braden Holpe because that would be, there'd be worse ways to start off uh, from a goaltending perspective. Although Seattle, I think fancies Vancouver as their rival, even though they haven't played any games yet. So you wonder if they try to help them out in any way or, just take the best player that they can, which is probably the more likely scenario. Um, okay, two players the Kraken are not going to get their hands on her: Connor McDavid and Nathan MacKinnon. Uh, but this week we saw two superstars break bad with uh, some interesting incidents involving both of them. Uh, they were both fined five thousand dollars, which is the maximum allowable under the CBA, which is another thing in itself. Uh, but Connor McDavid for a headshot on Yesberry Kutkinyemi and Nathan McKinnon for throwing a helmet or Connor Gar- Garland's helmet back at Connor Garland um sort of cornhole style pretty hilarious. Uh <laughs> one incident more funny than the other, but both earned the same amount uh in terms of fine. Uh but that amount is pretty negligible considering how much these two superstars make and how little you can actually be fined in the NHL. Um what do you make of these two incidents? Uh obviously one is maybe a little bit more serious than the other. Um but uh you know interesting to talk about nonetheless so go for it
0: here's what i think like i don't think the cock and yemi shove was penalized at all so when you see the fine come in it's kind of just like a late like oops my bad we should have done something about this like here's five thousand dollars and we all know with Connor mcdavid's salary that five thousand dollars is pretty much the equivalent of him just being like here just give me twenty dollars you know what I'm saying? Like, if you prorate it, like it is pr- $5,000 to Connor McDavid. I don't know his exact financial situation. Maybe I shouldn't be gesticulating on how much he's, you know, actually really, you know, doing with his money. But I would like to think that $5,000 in Connor McDavid's world is the equivalent of $20. And while not knowing exactly how much Nathan McKinnon makes, I like to think that that $5,000 is at least like 50 bucks. It's, it's kind of nothing. But at the same time, like. The Connor McDavid thing, I think the fine was more just because that actual situation wasn't penalized in the moment, whereas the Nathan McKinnon thing, I keep thinking, and I mentioned this on on Twitter, but I I keep thinking about it. Like, if Connor Garland catches that helmet, or he doesn't react the way they, or that helmet does not hit him where it hits him, does Nathan McKinnon still get fined? Like, is that an actual, is that an actual thing where it's like, you can't throw, like, a helmet that way? Like, it's not (laughs) like he was in a fight with him, like, slugging it out with it. But I'm no. just picturing the scenario where like Carter Garland sees the helmet coming. He's like, "Whoa, my helmet."
2: Thanks. Just like, just places it back on his head like nothing happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he tried to hit me with my own helmet, but I caught it. So, what are you going to do? I guess it's just one of those situations where it just kind of lucked out the way that it is. But I mean, I'm glad that you mentioned that one situation is funnier than the other because that situation is hilarious. The fact that Nathan Mm. McKinnon just thought like, all right, I'm going to chuck this helmet at you and literally is like skating up to him. Like, Hey, what are you going to do? Like I laughed my ass off at that. That was hilarious.
2: Yeah. I mean, the McKinnon clip is, is so funny because it's such a ridiculous toss and it doesn't look like he puts any effort into it, but it like explodes off of his hands and almost gets him right on the chin. But you can almost see Nathan McKinnon, like the, the thought process enter his head when he, when, it, when he was skating up to him and he and he was thinking like, okay, that was stupid. Because he didn't even react. He just started skating towards <laughs> him like his controller shut off. Uh, and he was like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And now I'm just gliding into this guy who's about to punch me in the face because of what I just did. <laughs> so I, I found like that that GIF is just so funny because there's so many little parts of it. And the, the, the slow-mo is like perfect. The other one, though, I don't like breaking down as much in the video because, I mean... As much as like the McKinnon one was funny with all these little things and slowing it down, the McDavid one was like, okay, there was misplaced aggression. Clearly, it was it yes. was him being retaliating for what he thought was a slash, I believe, on his hands, and him, him just generally getting beaten up uh, and not appreciating it. But I saw a lot of like you know screenshots with like the elbow straight in his head, like that's like the principal point of contact. That's not what happened. I mean, it yeah. was it was a bad hit, but McDavid. His arm rode off, rode up off the shoulder and connected him in the face, which is obviously illegal and you can find him all you want. But the people calling for suspensions, I just thought that was a little bit much Um, because, I mean, we always talk about the principal point of contact being important. That wasn't the, the principal point of contact wasn't the face or wasn't the head. And that has to be kept you know, kept in mind when you're reviewing these things and breaking it down and, and screenshotting the worst possible moment and sharing it and trying to get him on blast. is like, it's just like, it's not productive. I don't think. Um But the biggest thing that this thing did was just show how ridiculous the finding system is. Like if McDavid did get a one game suspension, he would have lost a hundred thousand dollars, but because they decided they weren't going to suspend him, he only lost $5,000. Like, I, again the CBA I don't want them to do I don't want them to open up that Pandora's box any time soon like I want no. it to be closed as long as possible but the next time that the the owners and the players get back to the table like I think they have to do something about it because you can't really curb like stupid things like this that are not suspension worthy but you still wouldn't want to see them like McKinnon's not going to get suspended for throwing a helmet at a guy's head but you don't want to see it happen again and you you cannot uh, affect behavior if you can't punish with any seriousness. And $5,000, as you mentioned, to both Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon, although it is, you know, a larger portion of Nathan McKinnon's salary, it's still negligible, and it doesn't mean anything to any of them. It's more embarrassing to both of them than anything else. And for that reason, I think you got to look at the finding system as another part of the NHL system that is pretty flawed. But what do you do?
0: Like, you can't if you start getting i mean i don't think anyone's necessarily suggesting this but imagine if someone's saying well what if we prorate everyone's salary to kind of fit the mold right like if you make this much money a fine for you would cost like that much i just think that starts to get into dangerous territory what if a guy like brandon baddock who spends his time in the ahl gets called up and does something like to the equivalent of what he what conor mcdavid did to yasperi kakanyemi him getting five five thousand dollars i mean that's still a lot but like you can't prorate that down like do you just take the actual minimum fine and raise it to an-
1: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
0: other number that's a bit more and i mean a little less palatable for everybody like i'm, I'm not sure what you do here and you, you kind of have to go with the one size fits all thing because i don't know if if prorating it for everybody is a kind of like a fair thing
2: well prorating works for the suspensions right like if mcdavid gets suspended 10 games he's gonna lose a hell of a lot of money he's gonna lose over a million dollars wouldn't he yeah, yeah it true. would be it would be over a million dollars but if jason spezza got suspended for 10 games he's losing you know 70k I guess and 70k to Jason Spezza is nothing but a million dollars to even Connor McDavid is substantial like it's there's no getting around that uh I I even think that's I think that's flawed though like I I, that doesn't make as much sense to me I think you should if you did something that warrants a fine it should be the act and it should be it should be punished accordingly like if hitting someone in the head is worth $25,000 then if you hit someone in the head, it's worth $25,000, even though that sounds really callous and ridiculous to say that a headshot is worth a certain amount of money. I think it's got to be worth more than $5,000, and it didn't need to be $100,000, if that makes any sense. Like the, There's got to be a middle ground for something like that because it's laughable if you're McDavid, and and not everyone's earning $12.5 million like McDavid, but it's laughable in this case, but suspending him for one game and finding him $100,000 for what was... As I said, I think nothing more than misplaced aggression. I think I that agree. wouldn't be fair either.
0: So I agree. I'll say this about that hit. I didn't think it was suspendable at all. If I recall correctly, that that hit happened away from the play. So I think in that moment, if the referees did their job and just kind of penalized Connor, they just put him in the box. I don't think we talk about this as much because in that moment the right call should be made. Again, that fine is only put out because nobody caught the fact that Connor McDavid did this except for the internet. And now a whole bunch of fans were losing their minds over it. I don't know. I, I, if you just call it in the moment, we don't talk about this.
2: It all comes back to refereeing, doesn't it? Uh, that's a whole episode <laughs> in itself. Okay, let's move on to uh, postseason races. Are you know They're all turning out to be pretty interesting. Leafs are in control in the North Division, but the Oilers and Jets are right there avalanche may be taking over in the west but the golden knights and minnesota wild are still in the mix for sure and tampa florida and carolina i mean the sunbelt gary bettman baby like he's got to be proud they're all (laughs) neck and neck in the central division uh but no race looks like it's going to be better than the race in the the race in the east division Uh, a division that we've neglected a little bit on this show as of now um the capitals and islanders right now are knotted at the top the penguins are two points behind and then there's boston lurking nine points back which is Kind of surprising, but they've got several games in hand. Then you got Philadelphia and the New York Rangers who are in the mix for a postseason spot as well. That seems like it's going to be the funnest race down the stretch. So let's tee it up a little bit. Is there a major mover here that you see? And uh, who do you see walking away with the division in the end? I'm going to
0: forgive you for using the word funner or funnest or whatever you did. That's not a word. Secondly, I think the New York Islanders <laughs> are going to be that too. I just think that... We've slept on this team from last year when they had their run in the bubble. Uh, I believe they have the second fewest goals allowed in that division. They obviously have the uh, the team up front with with Matthew Barzal, Kyleen, the chase. It's fun to see that that team. Uh, if you look at their roster, like really look at their roster, right? Like Matthew Barzal is like their best forward, and then they have all these other. I mean, fine, Anders Lee, you know, he's the forty goal guy, whatever. But I know he's injured, and 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 John and JG Pajot is there. Like the guys that are there. You look at them you're just kind of like okay there's no like superstar there's no amazing talent there's no John Tavares leading them or whatever but the fact that they've turned themselves into this machine that's just this really good team that just kind of goes steady along is just really impressive in itself and I and even though there are some really good teams in that division I could totally see the Islanders kind of sticking themselves out as as that team for the division they have forwards they have defense they have goaltending and they're well coached they have arguably the best coach in the Eastern Conference with with Barry Trotz like they put themselves in a position where, I mean, even if they don't win the division, they're going to be fine for the playoffs. But I could totally see them sticking out as, as the team to come out of that East division. Like, I, I think they're just really good.
2: Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to argue with you. I, I mean, I think the Islanders have basically convinced everyone that they're a legitimate team despite uh, having pretty much built up a huge portion of naysayers since John Tavares left and I'll be going through a little bit of a retooling uh, but with Matthew Barzell and Barry Trotz anything seems that it's uh, anything seems to be possible uh, but I'm gonna go with the Boston Bruins as my pick to win the division or at least be the major mover I mean this team I think is just so much better than it's shown this year uh, and you can look at the numbers awful shooting percentage uh, something to be desired from a goaltending perspective all that adds up to being in a bit of a PDO hole. They're Also dealing with quite a few injuries, but this is the same Bruins team to me. Special teams are tremendous, in particular. Uh, the five-on-five five stuff should come around. As I mentioned, they're you know a bit unlucky to this point. Uh, but I mean, I watched them against the Penguins on Saturday, and it was an inspired effort. Uh, they fell behind early, answered with five goals in the second period. Brad Marchand got himself a hat trick. But here's the kicker: when assessing the rest of their season, six games left against the Buffalo Sabers. I mean, that's, you know, they have games in hand and you could pretty much count another six of those games as potential wins with Buffalo about to sell off and about to play them six more times. So uh, maybe it's a tall task to win the division because I don't think New York or Washington is going to necessarily slip. But I think Boston should still be the favorite to at least come out of that division in the playoffs. And by the way, this this is a team to watch this summer. David Krejci and Tuka Rask are coming off their, you know, pretty sizable contracts. Both them UFA's this summer. Got 14 million dollars to spend. So I believe in them this year. Think they're going to win the division still, and I'm still terrified of them in terms of looking forward. If I'm any team that's going to be in their division, whether it's a East Division, whether it's a Atlantic Division. Uh, moving forward because they are they just seem to have they just seem to be able to regenerate themselves and I feel like they can make a move at the deadline and become even stronger this year as long with David Krejci and Victor and uh, Tuka Rass still in the fold
0: damn it the Boston Bruins still keeping that cup window open just looking at all these teams in that East division like I you know we talked about how you know we're obviously in markets based in the north division and we're looking at the teams that are there like, should we just, like, focus more episodes on just on this East Division, just watch more games? Like, at this point, like, the, combine- the all the teams that are in that division are just, like, the talent that's there, right? Like, they're they're all just, like, super good. Like, we didn't even talk about the Washington Capitals who are tied atop that division right now mm-hmm. and, and the moves that they made in the offseason, the players that they have up front. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers are also kind of hanging around, and I know that they went through those losses uh, to the New York Rangers where they just allowed so many goals, but that's another playoff team that's still kind of hanging around here. Like this is that East division. I mean, we've looked at all these other divisions as well, but there's a lot of talent, a lot of good teams in that division. I think going forward, like if you're a hockey fan and you're just, whether you're in Canada or you're in the States and you're trying to figure out like, all right, like I'm trying to figure out which race I want to follow. Like, Try to watch more NBCSN games of games going on in that East division, going for Carolina. And even mentioned Carolina as well. Like, no, actually no Carolina, sorry, wrong division. Excuse me. I'll just say this: Hmm. like that East division, Schedule yourself some time to watch some of these games, even if it means you don't want to, you know, you're a Toronto guy, you don't want to watch the Leafs. You know, you just say, like, all right, I got it. Jack Jack Campbell's got it going forward. Like, just watch yourself a Boston game or something, even if it is Boston. Like, I think there's there's more worth to watch some of these games going forward than some of the entertainment you're going to be watching in the North Division. And I know that kind of goes back on how I felt about the North Division earlier this year, saying, you know (laughs) what, hey, don't give up on it yet. But, I mean, there's clearly some other divisions that are a bit more exciting uh, than the North Division right now.
2: Uh, you got to take the take advantage of the opportunities as you get them because, as you mentioned, like it, it is diff- it is more difficult this year to keep track or keep tabs on everyone because mm-hmm. the Canadian games are on TV for us. Uh, generally, that's what I go to is the game that is live. It's you know I, I do have NHL Center Ice, but I rather watch games on my TV than my laptop. That's just who I am. Call me old school. Call me just old, but that's exactly an how I cable and plug it to your TV. I mean I, I, I have that capability, but I just I I, I don't know. It there's something, you know, it's it's Sportsnet, it's Friedman. he might be giving me some information that I need in the intermission. Like that's just it's just habits, you know? So it's it's it is more difficult, but if they're gonna be on TV, if they're gonna have an afternoon game on NBC, you gotta tune in because you're right. There's an immense amount of talent. And as much as there's a great um playoff race shaping up, there's also like disasters and flaming dumpster fires to keep tabs on as well with buffalo and philly potentially gravitating into the dumpster fire category as much fun as it it is to watch good teams it is also fun to watch bad teams uh implode so we got that opportunity in the east division as well uh i'm glad that you mentioned washington who we didn't talk about because as a tease i got samantha pell of the washington post coming on to talk about the capitals on tuesday so we'll cover that base when we get the opportunity this week. That's um, the end of the show, but I think uh, we have to congratulate our sh- ourselves on resisting the urge to debate Zach Hyman's Olympic team uh, possibilities. Uh, I, I just know, think we, hell, that we, deserve, we deserve some credit today.
0: There's something else I just want to bring up as well. You're bringing up all these other different teams that were fighting for playoff spots, whether they're near the top or whatever. We talked about how dire the San Jose Shark situation is right now. As of this mm-hmm. recording, they are one point off of a playoff spot in their division. Really? They are.
2: <laughs> they are. I mean, so I mentioned all these, like, great races. Yeah, there's, there's a good race in the West, and I guess San Jose is involved in the race. But it's really just a three-team, and there's, like, just one more playoff spot available. Like, oh, I guess I it's because it's it's St. Louis has completely fallen off. But I mean, yes. we have three we have three elite teams in the West, and then five bad teams. So if San Jose gets in; they get in, and maybe St. Louis isn't a bad team, but they're playing like a bad team, so that puts them in that category. I mean, we're talking about three teams: one with a plus 49, one with a plus 29, one with a plus 15 goal differential, and then the best out of the the five others. One of them's minus forty two, by the way, Anaheim. Minus forty-two. The Los Angeles Kings are in seventh place. They got a minus four goal differential. So that tells you what St. Louis, San Jose, Arizona, Anaheim, and Los Angeles have been doing, basically not competing against the other three teams in the West. And and
0: very last thing here, uh, another team we did not mention, the Eastern Conference and the Eastern Division. See the East Conference Division, it's so confusing for me. The Pittsburgh Penguins are right there as well, mm-hmm. with the fact that we were looking at this team, we're thinking, oh, well, maybe that window is closing. They are right there in the thick of things in that East Division, and they're going to go for it with with the core that they have and the management core that they have as well. Like, it is really interesting times in that East Division.
2: Yeah, I mean, once once they got Brian Burke and Ron Hextall there, they just started you know, raking off wins. I don't know. I don't know exactly how those two things are correlated, but by the time I think they made that switch, Pittsburgh had like one or two regulation or overtime wins. Like basically all their wins were coming in the shootout and they were extremely fortunate to be in the position they're in. Now, you know, a month later, six weeks later, they have 21 regulation or overtime wins on a plus 24 goal, goal differential, uh, and right there in the thick of the battle for the top spot in the East Division, you mentioned we didn't pick them, uh, but they're right there, only two points back.
0: Yeah, I should have mentioned Pittsburgh instead of Philadelphia. I know Pittsburgh, Philadelphia is a, like a few points off of that fourth playoff spot, but Pittsburgh is in a much more comfortable position than Philadelphia is right now.
2: Oh, certainly. I I, I think it's looking. I mean, they they basically have to pick, catch Pittsburgh, and they've got an eleven point deficit right now. I mean, Boston's not Boston's making the playoffs. They're not in a great spot right now, but I think it's pretty obvious that Washington, the Islanders, Pittsburgh, and Boston are getting in, barring a miracle. But, you know, Philly was supposed to be a great team. Certainly haven't played like it, though.
0: I don't know. I still think it's worth seeing how they do going forward, and there's going to be much more intrigue with those teams. And even if you watch the Rangers and just kind of see their next step in their evolution as well. Uh, I don't know. It looks as if I'm going to have to watch more East Division games because the the race going on there seems to be a bit more intriguing.
2: Well, we might have that opportunity because the North Division might have less on the schedule moving forward. As we mentioned, Mm -hmm. Vancouver Canucks not going to be playing for a little while potentially not going to be playing 56 games this year, which means it's going to impact the other teams in the North division. And we might be going by uh points percentage in the end. But again, a huge complication, something that we're going to be probably covering for the next month is what happens with Vancouver, what happens in the North division. And maybe we'll sneak in that Hyman conversation at some point.
0: Oh my God. Oh, like ugh, just
2: who started that? <laughs> it was a, it was a TSN quiz okay
0: all right all right we'll leave it we'll We'll leave it we'll leave it there
2: okay uh that's it for us i think uh we will uh potentially link up on zone time this week i don't know for sure if i'll be joining you but i'll be joining you at some and i'm looking forward to that and as i mentioned some capitals discussion with my midweek conversation with this week samantha pell of the washington post so that's going to be fun either way if i'm not on it got to watch zone time anyway because it's Julian's yes, sir. big show and uh, yes, sir and the early returns are very positive from uh, zone time so catch that catch my midweek interview with Samantha Pell and we'll be back next week for another Sunday edition of the Yahoo Sports hockey podcast peace.